0: Andy Schoen um, will be the first presenter. He's the CEO of Southpac Group, as well as being an active facilitator, a lead auditor and consultant. Um, He is led the development of innovative training insurance programs covering leadership, quality, safety, and continual improvement, all with a focus on the critical role of people. He's a postgraduate of the Griffith University Safety Science Innovation Lab in Brisbane, Australia, and is a passionate proponent of cutting-edge leadership concepts and safety science. Um, the next speaker will be um, Mark Alston. He's um, has extensive experience in investigations. Um, He commenced as a federal agent in the Australian Federal Police, responsible for investigating organized crime and large-scale drug and fraud offenses. Since then, Mark's worked for a diverse range of organizations, including BHP, Rio Tinto, McMahon Holdings, CQMS Razor, Amateur Services, with roles in incident investigations, risk management, safety, and auditing. So with that, Andy, I'll hand things over to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much uh, and thank you very much for having us uh, on to uh, your webinar. So um, many of you may have heard the term uh, learning teams being banded around and it's certainly a noticeable trend that more and more organisations both here in Australia and overseas are, are starting to engage Uh, with these uh, ideas uh, and methods, what we call uh, learning teams. So learning teams are a relatively new method and approach for learning. And we mentioned here for learning about and from both events. So that's the stuff that we traditionally would investigate. So accidents, incidents, uh, potentially near misses and stuff like that. But the other thing which is really powerful about learning teams is they're also something we can use to learn about uh, normal work the things that we wouldn't maybe normally pay that much attention to. Um, We do have some tools and we'll have a look at them in a moment moment, that we can use for looking at our day-to-day operations, uh, safety observations and and audits and things like that. Uh, But learning teams kind of take a different approach uh, in a number of different ways. And it's that difference which allows us to get really rich operational learning and insight into, into the work which is going on in our organization. So, the really critical thing here though, and this is, this is the but which is there, the t- learning teams themselves, and the reason why I guess they're so effective, is they're not that important. But what's more important is the operating philosophy that underpins learning teams. Um, you can do learning teams almost in any organization, but if the operating philosophy that sits behind it is not either understood or is not right, you will not get the the same bang for your buck. You will not get the the super effective uh, learning teams that maybe some organizations are experiencing. So what do we mean by this operating philosophy? Well, we refer to that operating philosophy as HOP, or Human and Organizational Performance. You may have heard of HOP, you may have heard of Safety Differently, you may have heard of Safety too. They're very similar uh, operating philosophies Um, and you have to kind of understand and appreciate that first before uh, doing things like learning teams. Um, I'll explain a little bit further uh, later on why you need to have that operating philosophy right first, Um, otherwise you will have a lot of potentially unintended consequences of doing learning teams. But just as a very brief taster, these are our five principles of, of HOP. Firstly, that Error is normal, or you may have seen it that people make mistakes. So it's an acknowledgement of the fact that, yes, we can can train people. We can give people error prevention tools. We can try and uh, manage the workplace in a way to make error uh, less likely. But at the end of the day, we are still all going to be human. Uh, And part of being human is the fact that we are fallible. We make mistakes. We we have slips and lapses. We forget things. We... um, we're essentially we're human and we have to accept the fact that we will make errors and we need to build systems that allow for that. Um, so with that in mind, we then acknowledge and, and accept the fact that blaming people for making errors is a pretty a pretty dumb thing to do. It really doesn't allow us to, to get better. It doesn't allow us to learn. It doesn't allow the system to improve if we just constantly blame the humans in the systems for making for making errors so again this is another part of being human when things go wrong it's a very instinctive reaction to to want to blame we all do it um so what we need to get a lot better at is, is internalizing that reaction to kind of taking a breath and going okay, I'm sure these people didn't intend this to happen. If they knew it was going to happen, they probably wouldn't have done it. Um, And then once we are able to do that, it opens the way for us to learn a lot more about the context or the work that people uh, were doing. So our third principle, systems or context drive behavior. So if we really want to understand why people do the things they do in work, whether it's a normal work or if it's when there's been an accident or an incident, we really need to understand the context in which they were working. Because people generally make decisions and do things that are locally rational to them. They make sense at the time. Um, And we only really can understand that once we've reconstructed and understand the context of of the people are working in. And the scenario we'll look at in a moment um, will hopefully explain a little bit more of what we mean by the context that people are operating in. In order to be able to learn about the context, yeah, we need to have the environment whereby uh, we're not interested in blame and we're acknowledging the fact that error is normal, and then that allows us to learn uh, learn about our, our own operations, learning about how things normally go well and how they sometimes uh, go wrong. And the final piece, and this is a really important piece we'll come to at the end, is the fact that response really, really matters. So if you want people to bring you kind of the the really the true stories about how things are happening in the work, we have to manage our response when we hear it. We kind of lose the plot. They'll only bring it to us once. And that kind of that bridge is, is broken and the information is not going to be shared. Um, so we have to manage the way we respond to when things go wrong, but also manage our response even when things appear to be going right. When everything seems to be going well, our response, if it's one that well, everything is probably going well, we've probably got great systems in place and everyone's following them, we could fall into a trap there too. So we have to manage our response as as managers and leaders, um, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment as well. The reason we use that elastic band ball, as well, by the way, is the fact that you'll notice those five different cores of the five principles, and they're all there, intertwined within that elastic band ball. Each principle is is vital, and they all kind of there's a lot of interplay between all of them. You can't say any one is more important than the other. Uh, and many of the ideas and concepts that sit under each of those principles are very much interrelated. So that's why we kind of use that that kind of metaphor, the uh, the elastic band ball. One of the things that concepts that sit underneath human and organizational performance, and it's probably one of the most important, if not the most important. And this is this is shared across, you know, all those various different terms I used before, safety too, uh, safety differently, hot. It's all around acknowledging the fact that within every organization, there is um, what we call a black line. Now we, we call that workers planned or, or workers imagined or workers prescribed. And every organization has this, it's policies, it's procedures, it's regulations, it's guidelines and best practices, all these types of things, oftentimes which are developed and written in, a, in an office environment, sometimes far away from, from where the work happens. But this is how our organization's, how it, how it believes work gets done, how it would like work to get done. Every organization in the world pretty much also has what we call a blue line, it's work in practice, how the work actually, it gets done. And sometimes it might be as per the book, sometimes it might be performing above what the book says, sometimes it's below that, but it's continually varying. Um, and there are many many reasons why work is continually varying but it's generally in response to the real world no procedure can ever allow for every possibility and every every you know type of variability so people adjust naturally their performance all the time uh taking into consideration the context so if you pull out your driveway this morning and there was a utility truck blocking the way because there was there were, there were uh, repairing a water main or something, you wouldn't just sit there and wait for days, you would immediately adapt or adjust your performance, you'd go a different way. And that's what makes humans generally very successful most of the time, because we adapt and we adjust and we get stuff done. Um, what we tend to do in traditional investigations, and however, and the same in all, it's When something goes wrong, when we have an event, as this kind of little explosion sort of um, here shows on on the slide, we come along and it's very easy for us to identify the fact that the people involved here, their blue line was some way away from the black line. We identify the gap and sometimes we'll call out a cause and say, ah, we've identified the cause of this particular accident or incident. We found the gap. We found the gap between what they were supposed to be doing Uh, And what they were doing and tend to then use some kind of counterfactual reasoning if only they'd been doing the black line This wouldn't have happened But of course you can see that the blue lines there the whole time the blue lines there And there's variability throughout the work all the time. It's not always leading to accidents and incidents So that kind of reasoning is is flawed so what we really are more interested in with the blue line is understanding the blue line understanding the context and the, and the var- whether is driving that variability, but also how far the blue line is from this red line, which is the, the, the hazards and, and danger uh, in the work. How, how much margin of safety do we have between the blue line and, and the red line? And if we wanna really be able to do that well and understand that, we need to speak to the people who are doing the work every day, the people who are the masters of the blue line, the people who basically live on the blue line. We've got this quote here from from Todd Conklin and and, and Bob Edwards, and it mentions there, workers are masters of complex adaptive behavior or masters of the blue line. They do it all the time. So if we want to understand why they do the things they do and how work really happens, we really need to include them. And that's where we get to this idea of, of learning teams. Learning teams are our means, or one of the means we have of understanding the blue line. So if we want to understand... We want to get better answers. Um, We have to have better or or different questions, questions that go to context as opposed to choices. When things go wrong, we can see it as people made the wrong choice, and we maybe look for a cause. But if we decide we're not not so much interested in that, we're more interested in context and conditions, and we ask uh, questions that lead to context and conditions, we tend to do a lot more learning. So, it's, uh, it's not about necessarily five whys or even worth one who. It's about understanding what was work looking like at the time. And that's what learning teams are very good at doing, allowing us to, to build um, out that, that context. So, we're going to share a, a, a brief scenario with you uh, to explain and show how the learning teams have this. Um, have this power so this is a picture of a, of a manufacturing site this isn't the manufacturing site we're going to be talking about but it's maybe not too dissimilar to this um, this is a site which is in the UK for a large multinational company that um, both myself and, and Mark and, and Vanessa have been doing some work with over the last 12 months now this particular site was pretty much brand new it was only less than 12 months old which in manufacturing terms is is very new um, They had had, there was a plant manager at the time uh, when we went there and did the learning team had only been in post for about a month. The previous uh, site manager had been relieved of that particular position. So you think, well, everything should be be great. This is a brand new site. The site, however, had been underperforming its design capacity uh, for some time, uh, pretty much since it had been opened. Um, And they had some concerns about particularly around uh, certain parts of the line. They had concerns around, particularly around the in-feed of this line, this is where the raw product comes in and then goes onto the, onto, the, onto the line. And they were also had some concerns around adherence to the company's global cardinal rules. There was concern that there may be uh, behaviors going on which may be contravening some of those rules. So we were asked to do a learning team in this site to set a little bit more of the context fortunately the site manager and some other people at that site had just done three days of training on human and organizational performance and learning teams so they were kind of ready for us to do at this learning team now if we'd gone in there and done a traditional sort of approach which may have involved doing either an audit or a some form of safety observations i can guarantee the things that we would have found um i'm not not kind of um, casting aspersions on anyone here, I've done these things too. Uh, my background has been a lot in aviation safety over the last 10 years. And we used to regularly audit um, a operator at Melbourne Airport. And one of their managers used to say when we were doing ramp audits, ah, don't, don't go down to the ramp, like the picture on the right hand side here is and speak to the people in observance. Just stand at the gate particularly gate 34, because you've got a really good view of the whole ramp and don't even let them know you're there. Just observe and watch and see what they're doing. I always find some really interesting stuff doing that. And of course that's true. You can stand at gate 34, stood up bird's eye view watching, and you might find all the places where the procedures aren't being followed, potentially where the guy isn't wearing a seatbelt when he's driving the GSE. Um, and you can find all these non-conformances or non-compliances, but all we're identifying by doing that is we're identifying where they're not matching the black line. We're observing the blue line without really getting any understanding at all of why they're doing all those things. Are these just reckless risk takers and people who just don't want to comply or whatever it might be, or are there other reasons why they're doing it? So If we'd taken that kind of traditional approach at this particular site uh, back in the UK, here's what we probably would have found: Uh, we would have found manual handling risk, uh, the fact that those particular uh, standards and procedures weren't being adhered to, rules were being broken. Yep, if we'd if we'd been sneaky enough, we would have found that even cardinal rules were not were being broken. And this is an organization which traditionally has been very punitive around its cardinal rules, i.e. get caught breaking a cardinal rule and you can be either suspended or fired. So we would have found that and we would have found also maintenance not being completed if we'd gone through and done the auditing on that particular Ellen. We would have found that, yeah, okay. once again, the black line is not being adhered to. So... All we would have been doing there is identifying all the symptoms. However, we did a learning team, as I've already alluded to. So, so what is a learning team, and what did it find? So, a learning team, rather than either necessarily observing or auditing people, we get people from the front line into a room, and we sit down with them and we have a conversation. Um, as it mentions here, a learning team tells a story, and it can either be on an event or in this case, as we were doing in the UK, it was on normal work. And it was how this group of people, how they, these frontline workers, how they experience and see work. And it helps us to understand the complexity and normal variability of of work and of how work really gets done. Not how we think it gets done from the black line procedures and policies which we'd looked up, the cardinal rules and so on, but how they actually really get work done. And critically, why the things they do make sense. A learning team is not a traditional investigation. It's not worried about collusion. We don't want to set each person down separately and ask them these questions. We get them together as a group and it goes down as a conversation. And as a, con- as a consequence, there may be disagreement, but we're not really that interested in everyone being completely in agreement. We're trying to get the various different perspectives um, and all the different kind of thought processes from the different people in the room because we're not concerned about one root cause or one issue, it allows the conversation to flow and go in all types of different directions, which allows for really rich learning. And because of course we're not focused on blame, we're trying to create a safe environment where people can feel free to talk about their experience of work and of the blue line. We get that real deep intelligence and and understanding. So who's on a learning team? Well, in this case, Uh, This one we did in the UK, there was myself as the facilitator uh, and Mark who'll be talking later, was was there as well. Um, We had, unusually in this case, three safety professionals from the organization who were sitting in, which we were very concerned about because we weren't sure how it was going to go, having all these safety people from the organization sitting in. But they just kind of sat in and sat in the back and and didn't really say a great deal. They were just observing and then we had uh, three or four guys who worked on the line, there was a forklift driver, and there was a maintenance guy. So there was enough people there to get a rounded view of how work happens at this particular site. They were the ones who were close to the event uh, or to the issue. Um, Leadership of the site were not involved aside from coming in and and welcoming everybody, telling them that they're joining for the debrief afterwards, that essentially they had top cover if they could feel free to discuss anything they wanted, uh, and it would be a it would be dealt with in a, in a sensible and mature way. There was not gonna be any kind of blame or punishment. They really wanted to, they were a new plant manager and they really wanted to understand some of the issues in the plant. So that was who was we on the learning team. Um, the goal of the learning team or of any learning team, this is a, a quote from, from Bob Edwards. Uh, he mentions that the goal is to learn enough that we realize given the conditions that people face the information they hold, the tools and equipment they have, and the pressure that they are under, we would probably make the same decision or would be making the same decisions or behaving in a similar sort of way. We're trying to get inside their world. It involves us being a bit empathetic and wanting to get inside someone else, you know, try and get in someone else's shoes and see the world how they see it. So this is something very brief on on, on the learning team process. I'm not going to really talk through this too much. So you'll have access to this afterwards, I believe. But once we've got that group of people together, our first session, which in this instance went for about an hour, an hour and a half, was what we call in just learning mode only. All we're doing is asking broad and open questions and trying to build an understanding of what life is like, particularly around this part of the production facility, um, around the infeed and production line, and try and build an understanding for what it's like to work there. We then take a break, which we call soap time. Ideally, that's overnight, but in this instance, we couldn't do that overnight, so we did that over lunch, and then we used to do a second session, get them back into the room again. Uh, we start in learning te- in learning mode, reviewing the information, and then we start to talk about solutions. So here it says define defenses or build new ones or improve. Well, at this point in time, we just we're talking about what could we do better, what could be changed to improve the work. Um, and that's where we got to with this particular learning team. So we're trying to understand the, the, some of the problems in the context and we really have to be very disciplined in that first session. People will instinctively want to start fixing. People, you know, humans especially, we have a bias to action and doing stuff, getting stuff done, fixing getting things fixed up. So Anytime people start straying towards a solution, we have to kind of say, that's that's a really great idea, but maybe just hold on to that because at the moment we're still trying to understand all of the various different aspects of the context around the work. So by being very disciplined and just focused on that, it just allows us to keep on filling up a big whiteboard or a, a flipboard or whatever you're using and really building out all this information. We don't want to start fixing anything yet because we haven't really fully understood the context. And even any one individual in the room might not have the full understanding. But by the team discussing this, we get all those kind of uh, different perspectives and we build a, a, you know, a really good picture of some of the influences uh, and pressures that are, are shaping the way the work is being done. So as we mentioned, we're about focusing on conditions and not choices. Um, When we start focusing on choices and decisions people make, it's putting it all on the the individuals and the human. Whereas if we focus on the conditions, we're seeing the broader whole system um, and the the influences of those decisions and choices people are making. Um, We're inviting dissent and diversity. We're not looking for them all to be in agreement on everything. Now, in most learning teams, they'll tend to find the, the certain key themes which everyone's in agreement on. But there will still be dissent and some disagreement on other things. We're not, obviously, constructing timelines. We're not taking witness statements, writing down who said what. We're just trying to build the understanding. And we also absolutely withhold judgment. Because what happens inevitably is about half an hour into that first session, people really start to realize that anything can, you know, they can say anything and there's not going to be any consequences. And they'll start telling you about the times they break the cardinal rules, the times they break the rules and and why they do it. And if we react badly to that, that's gonna shut down the conversation. So we have to kind of be open to that, hear it, and without hear it without judgment. So what we found in that first session um, with this uh, group, and then just kind of summarize this here because there was a lot of stuff that came out. There always is a lot of stuff. We can fill pages and pages of information. But these are some of the key themes that came out of this learning team. So, first up was production pressure, and that's not going to be a surprise to anybody because any site, any manufacturing site, there's always production pressure. But this is a new site, don't forget. So, this is a new site and it's been built or designed with a set capacity or output. This site from day one underperformed against that design capacity. Now, outside of this site, no one had really ever stopped and asked the question, why is the site not performing to its design capacity? And rather it was forever to putting more pressure on the site. This is a brand new site. You should be performing at this level. This is the level it was designed to perform at. So as a consequence, there was this kind of psychology within the whole site that they were forever playing catch up. There was, there was never time for anything other than keeping the line running. Now there was a lot of reasons why this this was underperforming from the day it'd been commissioned there was issues that'd never really been ironed out from when it was initially commissioned but they never got around to it but then this kind of the fact that they were behind then meant there wasn't really the time to to square you know revert back and, and square out these things that hadn't been uh, fixed that kind of leads into the second thing here about maintenance was not being completed there was no preventative maintenance at all happening. The maintenance team were understaffed and the maintenance guy who was on our learning team was actually on his notice period and was leaving. He'd had enough. Uh, and to top that off, the maintenance team had very restricted access to the line. That relates back to the previous theme, production pressure, don't stop the line. We have to try and make up the gap we've already got now in terms of outcomes and output. So no one wants to stop the line to do any maintenance, which in turn then creates further pressure when things start to go wrong. There were, in fact, really very minor things that the maintenance guys had said, if we could have 10 minutes on the line or 15 minutes on the line, some of these things we could iron out, and that would have massive benefits long-term. But no one shift wanted to take the hit on their shift. No, we can't stop the line for 15 minutes. Do it on night shift. And night shift, of course, would say, well, don't do it on our shift. Do it on early shift. And this kind of, these problems just never got fixed. Um, the next key theme was the ins- insufficient or wrong equipment. So there was a section of the line where they had a lot of blockages. Now this line was, was higher than the line shown here uh, in this picture. Now because the line was at a certain height and they had blockages, they also had no elevated platform alongside. So they had really, very little way of clearing these blockages aside from climbing onto the line and forcibly clearing the blockage and allowing the system to run again. Now, that was a cardinal rule for the organization. No climbing on plant equipment. That's an instant dismissal offense. Um, But they were telling us, well, we're doing that because we've got no other way of getting the job done and even getting close to, to achieving the required output. If we were to stop both isolate and, and stop the line, get the right equipment to get up there. We would even be even further behind with the numbers. You know? So numbers, they understand the numbers are important. So they're, doing, they're putting themselves at risk to try and help the, the, the site get the output. They also had isolation fences that were oftentimes in the wrong place. And particularly around the in if they had a, a pile of product fall over, they had no way of getting a forklift in there to help remove um, the product. So they were having to do it all by hand, which then took a lot longer. Um, so as I said, they, a huge amount of information came out. And even with three of the organization's safety professionals in the room, they, within half an hour or 45 minutes, they told us about the rules and cardinal rules that they were breaking. But of course, we withheld all judgment and thanked them for the information they were providing. And once we understood the context that they were working in, it was no surprise at all that they were breaking these rules because they felt they had no choice. They had to do this to be able to get them, try and help the plant get the numbers. So rather than kind of the, the, the audit or the safety observation, which yes, absolutely would identify the symptoms, i.e. the, the violations, the rule breaking, the maintenance not being done, by doing a learning team, we start to build out what we call a messy story. Um, all of the other context that sits around the work and then explains why people do the things that they do. And learning teams are excellent at helping us to really build out that context. So yes, we had a little bit of soak time um, to allow people to think about what we, what we just discussed. And then we had a second session where we, we reviewed all our information and the key things and we started to talk about some of the solutions they had. And of course they had, these are the people who do the work every day. They work in that plant and they know it better than anybody. So they had so many ideas around what things that could be changed. And then the safety professionals who were sitting in who rotate all over the country, going to all different plants, they were able then to provide a little bit of guidance around what, what things are possible and what are in, already in place in other sites. So they were able to come up with some really great ideas, some of which, uh, once the site manager was briefed on, was like, well, some of these things could be done very quickly indeed and wouldn't cost a lot of money either. There were some things they were like, we're gonna have to put put in some money for capex on a couple of items, but other things they felt they were able to, they were able to action really very quickly. So, they kind of, what learning teams provide us with what we call is uh, essentially operational wisdom. I mentioned that it's the difference between fixing the right things um, first time or fixing the wrong things aggressively and often. Now what that organization has done globally for a long time is fix the wrong things aggressively and often. Every time they've found people breaking the rules, they've just fired the people breaking the rules. But now by starting with this approach with with hop and they're doing learning teams, they're starting to understand the context. And they're starting to then fix the context rather than trying to fix the humans. Um, and that's been having dramatic impacts for them and for other organizations that are doing this too. Now, the key thing to say with the learning team is, yes, there are there are outcomes from the learning team and some of them are tangible so that's the learning and the insights we gain that might get put together into a report and absolutely essentially the corrective actions and improvements because if if we don't do anything with the insight we gain and the ideas and solutions people come up with we we might as well not do it because it'll do more harm than than good people say oh we sat down we told them all this stuff and they did nothing um, but when stuff does get done, when action is taken, the intangible outcomes are probably even more powerful than the tangible ones in terms of the sharing of the story. Hey, we were involved in this learning team. We shared all these ideas. We told them all the stuff that was going on. A, no one got in trouble. And B, we actually were listened to and changes were made. And that really starts to change the narrative in the organization. It helps to build engagement and to build trust. And the guys who walked out of that learning team, the five or six frontline guys who've been on that learning team from that site back in the UK, they visibly walked out kind of, you know, seven or eight feet tall, they were they were just engaged, they were excited, and the safety professionals had sat and observed it. They were still talking about it a whole week later when we were doing another session with them in a different place. They were so excited about what they'd seen and so infused with it. So... Um, that's you know the, the power that they can achieve. The things to think about, you've gotta be very careful about where you do these uh, learning teams. You've gotta think about who who you're gonna involve, who the facilitator is gonna be. You can't do them for everything, so you're gonna to have to be mindful of the fact that you don't wanna over-promise and under-deliver. Um, generally, don't use learning teams in the first instance on accidents or incidents it's better to go and focus on maybe a, a problem process or maybe some high-risk work, which you may think is worth doing some learning on. Anywhere where there's not already some, some negative outcome, which may be gonna drive um, you know, undesirable behaviors and, and people not wanting to share for fear. So, um, But start to build some confidence and capacity with the ideas of, of a learning team and then down the track, you might want to start doing other things with learning teams, too. The absolute critical thing, though, with learning teams, as I said before, if you do a learning team but haven't prepared the soil, you haven't got the leadership on side, you're going to get potentially in, in some, real <laughs> some real strife. And we've seen this in a few organizations we work with where they've been very fired up, very excited, gone off and done learning teams, and when the information's been presented back to the leadership the site leadership or plant leadership they've lost the plot what do you mean people are breaking cardinal rules everyone knows that's totally unacceptable everyone knows that's instant dismissal so if people can't handle the truth if they're not ready for the blue line conversation it's not a good time or a good place to start doing learning teams so that's why it's really important to have the, that kind of the ground prepared leadership ready and in the case of this one the learning team in the uk that manager had actually already done some hot learning team training and he handled it absolutely beautifully he he's it was engaged when he actually came in for the debrief he'd actually bought a bag full of fish and chips for everybody and cans of coke and we kind of had a very informal debrief and he was a, very receptive to the ideas and was said let's get this this stuff done so the philosophy is really important the tool is great but the philosophy and the thinking has got to be right too Otherwise, you just will not get that kind of real, uh, amazing, long-term, effective solutions that learning teams can deliver. So, that's the that's the kind of really the key thing we'd say. Yeah, the ter- method is great, but get the get the thinking right first, and prepare the soil before you start kind of uh, uncovering this incredible insight. That's what I've got to deliver. So, thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to stop sharing now and hand over to Mark, who's going to show how this kind of relates then back to the myosh system.
0: Um, Mark, might just just in case you've muted yourself.
2: Sorry about that everyone, I did mute myself. Um, thank you to everyone for joining us this morning and I hope everyone's uh, working well if you're in isolation and, and looking after yourselves and your teammates. Um, I just want to second what Andy said about the learning team we did there in London, it was, it was just excellent. Just the, the, the amount of truth that came out of it um, was astounding um, and the, the comfort level of the people involved in talking about their work honestly, and the challenges and issues that they had um, was just mind blowing. So thank you very much. Uh, so my bit in this little presentation is going to be talk about uh, the MyOS software um, and the new learning teams module that we've developed uh, that I've, I've had a small hand in developing with, with MyOS. So basically if, uh, if you haven't used MyOS before, or if you haven't, it's a great, uh, Health and safety, uh, environment, quality database management system. It has training uh, capabilities, as um, hazards inspections, incident reporting, and all that sort of stuff in there. Um, several, like several of my clients, use it and love it, and uh, it works well for them. So one of the things we noticed uh, going in this path, the popularity of learning teams has meant that uh, we needed somewhere to record it so one of the issues our clients have um, when we're running learning team training uh, with Southpac um, is they don't they they need that place where they can actually that database that repository of where they can put learning teams so this here you uh, you'll see on the screens now is the um it's just the, the home screen for for Myles. um and you'll see on the left hand side there all the different modules. Now, there's a they've got a heap of those modules. If you're interested in learning more, just go to myosh.com and, and you'll be able to have a look at that. Um, so you'll look on the left-hand side, and, and there's our learning team module. So we click on that, um, and basically what we're going to do is Andy gave us that uh, great um, example of uh, the learning team that we did in London. And I just want to show you how easy it is to put that data into the MyOSH Learning Teams module. So basically, we click on New Record, um, and up it comes. And basically, we just simply enter the follow the prompt. It's fairly simple. So, who was who was in the uh, who was in the learning team itself? Um, who the facilitator was. So I'll make it myself today. Um, the scribe, um, Tim was the scribe, and the sponsoring manager. Now that's the manager that's going to be responsible. Uh, for sponsoring the learning team. And, and Andy talked about the manager we had in that production line over in, uh, over in London it was fantastic. And um, so we'll put them in there. And then basically it's pretty simple. The, the, the date, so we can put today's date. Uh, the process tasks. So this is bespoke this bit. So any, any, um, any organisation within the system of Marsh can actually uh, adjust this it itself. Um, this list of drop down menu items. Um, so in this case, we'll put infield. Um, and then what the topic was about. So in this case, uh, it was about improving efficiency and productivity for the infeed line. So it's as simple as that. Um, I've, some typing I've done earlier. A um, bit of background on it. So it just gives a little bit more of information. We can throw that in there as well again. So if we had some stakeholders that we wanted to be aware of what's going on, uh, we can add, add those people in um, so that they're aware of what's happening and they'll get emailed and notified about this learning team, what's going on. And then it's as simple as going through and identifying. So part of the process and talked about was these key themes that we identified. So we knew one of the key themes was equipment and fencing. Um, So we we just put that in as a key theme title uh, and then some details and then about what, what was happening with that. And as you can see, we can put in a whole heap of details there And then if there was any recommendations, we just put those in. So the recommendations of what the team um, recommend we should do doesn't necessarily mean um, what the manager will agree to do. Uh, Whether it's a key theme or not, because sometimes there's other themes coming out. And then we can add some recommendations for theme two. So there might've been a second theme, might've been around maintenance, uh, and we can go in and so forth. Um, we go down the bottom, um, so we can say there's no key, team key theme, um, no theme three, and we can actually put a new action in if we want to. So we can, so if there's an action there for uh, a supervisor to um, to review the learning team. Uh, we can put that in as well. So it's it's quite simple to do, uh, and it links back um, to the learning team that we've just done. So. Um I'll just finish this off so we can put it in and hopefully that will work for me. Um so there's our action there. So Angela's got to review this thing. If we can put attachments in here, you can see so if we took photos, so quite often one of the ways we scribe through a learning team is taking is on butcher's paper or you know, large post-it notes on a board or whoever. We take photos of those and we can just drag and drop those in there for everyone to do. And then it's simple as saving it. And that's done. So the whole idea, and then we submit, and off it goes. To and that'll go through to the Angela, who was the uh, uh manager in this case, improving efficiency of productivity line. And that's there for everyone to see. So your organisation, um, provided everyone has access through their, their user control in Myosh, they'll be able to go in here and they'll be able to see. Oh, hang on. So the Geraldine side's done all this work on improving efficiency on the infeed. Let's have a look and see if there's anything um, that we can get from there. Uh, and then there's action tracking um, linked to it so we can always see what's going on. So that's basically the Learning Teams module. We've tried to keep it really simple and decluttered in a line with sort of in line with, um, sort of, uh, in line with um, um, safety too and, and safety differently and and, and reduction in unnecessary uh, unnecessary um, you know clutter in that safety space so that's what it's about um, I hope uh, I hope that uh, it's 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 a nice clean one if you can change it uh, if, you, if you're in uh, if you can bring Myosh on board and there is, uh, there is room to make that uh, more bespoke for your organisation, that's one of the advantages of, of Myosh. Uh, and that's about all for me for this one. So uh, thank you very much, I'll hand you
0: back. Great, thank you, Mark. Um, we um, don't have any questions at the moment, uh, which means you re- did a really good job. And, and Mark, you have very impressive um, typing skills too, I must say. <laughs> Um, so, um, I have dropped a link in the chat panel with a link to the module page at Myosh. Um, we will put a short video on there too. We'll send an email out, um, with some contact details for Andy and for Mark, um, in a little while and also a video and recording of the podcast and the slides as well. So, um, it uh, doesn't look like there are any questions, so we won't um, hang around. We've all got other work to do, but I really appreciate your time, Andy, today. That was absolutely fantastic. And also um, to you, Mark, um, once again, another great informative webinar. So thank you, everybody. Um, have you got anything to say, Mark or Andy?
1: Um, there was just one question. It's popped up here on the chat feed from <laughs> Roya. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, can you link the actions items to risk yet? There is a risk management module in um, in Marsh, and it can be linked to all the modules. Can be linked.
0: Okay, um, that normally happens that we we do get questions filtering in, but there doesn't seem to be any more. So
2: no, there's um, more. There's more popping up now. Oh,
0: they're coming in the chat.
2: They're coming in the chat
0: <laughs> okay all right well you guys can see them do you want to read them or do you want me to read them out
1: so roy has asked here it, it's been said a learning team can't face the truth how can you make it ready for it so i assume you're referring to to leadership and how do we make leadership um ready for the truth i think that the key thing is to talk through them through the five principles and and particularly that workers imagined versus workers done uh, that's a really important in the black line blue line conversation, and get people to think about it from their own work experience. Like, it's all very well in th- believing that everyone in the front line operates to the to the black line, but if they think about their own work experience. They'll know that there are um, there are times when they adapt and adjust. Um, a great example I, I like to use is which really it's very simple. You say um, how many organi- how many countries have unions that use work to rule as a form of industrial action. Well, lots do, particularly France, they have they use work to rule as a form of industrial action. If work to rule, you know, if the rules perfectly describe work and the procedures were all perfectly matched to work, work to rule wouldn't wouldn't matter. It wouldn't have any impact at all. But of course when when work to rule is implemented, productivity goes through the floor because organize the organized the workforce deliberately stop adapting and stop adjusting their performance and rigidly follow the rules and performance drops uh, you know, dramatically so uh, the key thing is to get them ready to hear the fact that the blue line does exist in our organization and we can choose to learn about it or we can choose to ignore it uh, but we ignore it at our peril so it's better to understand and to know and then we can do something about it rather than live in blissful ignorance and believe in the black line.
0: Okay. There's some other questions coming in. Um, will Bob, I don't know who he is, be coming back out to Australia later in the year for hop training?
1: Uh, we have nothing confirmed yet, given all of the kind of uh, craziness that's happening at the moment, but we are hoping to have something towards the end of the year. Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, so said, have you used teams in primary industries or construction industry?
1: Um, I've certainly used it in construction. Um, I haven't done anything in primary industries, so but I'm sure other people have. Uh,
2: um, yeah, so I know um, yeah, certain utilities companies using Teams quite well. Um, and uh, I know uh, a couple of schools are using um, Teams, Microsoft Teams. I assume talking about Microsoft Teams, they're using them quite well as well.
0: Um, Mike asks, what is the best source of further information on the hot process?
1: <laughs> so, as, as the biased CEO of Southpac Group, I'm obviously going to say that, the, that further information would be uh, to come to the Southpac International website, southpacinternational.com, and, and check out some information we've got there. But also, that there's a whole section on our website called, called the Hop Lab, um, which is a whole heap of free information and videos and articles, which is all all shared about about Hop generally and also about learning teams. So. Uh, so that's com, and then go to the, the kind of the, the elastic band ball on the menu and that'll take you to the hot lab.
0: All right. We'll include that, those links on the email too. Um, there's, a, there's a question there from Michael on the chat. Okay. okay. Michael asks, can you use learning teams on a daily basis on a smaller scale within work groups? And how would you approach this?
2: Um, I might take this one if you'd like any, um, you got to be careful. Like as Andy said, learning teams are quite resource heavy. Like you, you know, it can take to get real deep uh, meaning out of it. Um, so um, you need to pull people out of production uh, for some time, for for, the, for half a day or a day. Um, but in terms of the objectives of learning teams and getting honest honest answers, that's that comes down to those. Um, as Andy said, tilling that soil first and. And, and implementing that um, hop culture, uh, the, the the hop uh, ethos, so that people feel comfortable talking to you. And then getting just getting better questions. So generative questions, questions that understand. And leaders should be doing that on a daily basis. Um, line management should be doing that on a daily basis. basis. Asking generative questions, questions that um, generate people to tell them stories. And if you have a no blame culture, if you have um, out, you recognise errors, knowing you're really trying to learn. Uh, that'll happen every day. We're at a pre-start meeting, we're just in your general field interactions, um, whatever you call them, um, safety observations. If you use that general question, you need to understand. So you're there to learn, not to teach. You'll actually start to get more information fed to you on a daily basis um, with each interaction as an opportunity to get that to learn. If you, that's how you treat it. So, generative questions are key there on a daily basis. Learning teams um, can be quite resource-heavy, so you've got to be careful you don't overuse them, otherwise you halt production too much.
1: Just just one thing to add to that in terms of, um, the teams themselves can develop uh, and put some of these kind of ideas about blue line conversation and operational learning questions into their daily activities in terms of like pre-starts or, you know, discussions you know debriefs briefs and debriefs in terms of talking about what went well what surprised us what didn't go as well as planned what went better than planned uh, and what can we do about some of those things so It's not just about the learning teams, but how do you develop learning into other other day-to-day activities? So that's where you can certainly get some bang for book there
0: Okay, we have a, a question from Ryan. Do you think that learning teams can be implemented without adopting the other hot principles?
1: I think it's very, very hard to do it um, without adopting the hot principles or something similar. Uh, Because without that being in place, where's the incentive for people, whoever they are, frontline workers, whoever, to share their accounts and stories of of the blue line? If you're worried about, well, the organization is probably going to write me up or worse as soon as I start telling them, it's going to be very difficult, you know, you're on, on very difficult grounds then to get people to really open up and talk about these things. Um, so I would say it's quite difficult to do it without something like that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, if anyone does have more questions, they can obviously email um, Andy or Mark as well. Um, so with that, um, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it today. And thanks for everyone for coming. Thanks everyone for coming. Listen to us. Cheers. Okay. Bye everyone. Have a great day.